Hello, and welcome to the Better Strangers podcast. A Better Strangers is a publication that focuses on books, politics, parenting, and nature, all during what feels like the apocalypse. It is edited and published by me, Matt Hirschberger. Um, if you haven't subscribed already, it's a Substack newsletter. Uh, if you sign up, it'll be sent directly to your email inbox. Uh, we send out columns three times a week on Mondays. We do book recs, which are uh, book recommendations on a specific topic, five books. Uh, I do accept guest columnists for this if you ever have any interest in that. On Wednesday, uh, I write a column, and on Friday, we release this, the podcast. Uh, If you'd like to support me, there are free and paid options on the Substack. Currently, nothing is behind a paywall. That is probably not going to stay the case um, permanently. Uh, But you can also support me through my Patreon account and through uh, buying through the affiliate links for any books that I recommend. Uh, They all link to bookshop.org, which supports local bookshops. I never, ever, ever, ever link to Amazon.com. So that is another way that you can support me or you can uh, share with your uh, friends and family. So uh, any of that would be very helpful. Uh, But let's get on to this week's podcast. So kind of um, going into, kind of going off of what I was talking about last week where I talked about how the internet is what's making you depressed, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about some some books I've been reading lately um, and specifically about long and difficult books. So this past week I finished one of the funniest books I've read in a really long time, which is Patricia Lockwood's No One Is Talking About This. It's about a uh, an internet influencer who lives in what she calls like the portal and uh, it kind of goes into how a lot of what you know she sees as her life takes place in this online space that is kind of terrible for her and kind of makes it impossible for her to talk in anything but in these like kind of like you know glib, ironic, you know, jokey sort of ways, and how she actually has a very hard time engaging with anything resembling a real life. Um, as a person who spent much of his twenties and, and, and early thirties online and primarily online. This was something I really connected with. The book also goes to a much more um, moving place. I don't want to give anything away about kind of what happens, but it starts off with mostly just being just joke after joke about internet life. Um, and then it, it goes to, to another like really cool place. But one of the things that I noticed about it is the book is almost written like tweets. Um, the paragraphs are very short. It's kind of sentence by sentence, And this is something I've noticed about my own writing is I just, it tends to be kind of like this very like rat-a-tat, like, you know, like I want to break things up really evenly so it's not too long of thoughts. And this, uh, you know, and and Lockwood is brilliant and I don't mean to knock her in any way, like this is genuinely everyone should read this book. But it did get me thinking about how, you know, I've kind of moved away from reading the longer or harder stuff. And last year was my the most books I've ever read in a year. And kind of the thing I had was like, I want to get as much pages in as I could. It was this very like consume as much as possible, um, you know, approach to books, which I mean, as far as consuming, over consuming anything, like I guess books is about as good as you can get. But um, at the end of the year, I just felt kind of burnt out. And for most of January, I had a hard time getting into anything specific to read. Um, so, you know, one of the books I've, I've been listening to in audio form um, over the past couple weeks is Johan Hari's Stolen Focus, which talks uh, – I could have included in the uh, last week's, you know, The Internet is What's Making You Depressed. It's talking about kind of the current attention uh, crisis and people's inability to 
really spend any serious amount of time on anything. And what he found is that adults in America in the average workplace on on average get about three minutes of uninterrupted focus before something on their phone pings them in or they get someone popping into their office to ask them something or or an email or or whatever. Um, And this is not enough time to really – you know, get focused on something. And, and Hari talks about how, you know, it's not just the three minutes. It's also however many minutes it takes you to get focused again. So, you know, if you look at your phone screen time and you see that you've got like, you know, three and a half, four hours a day that you're spending on your phone, that's three and a half hours that you're on your phone. It doesn't count the time that you get refocusing on whatever work it, it was that you were doing before. Um, and this kind of attention problem has been – it's partly the internet stuff that I discussed last week, but it also has to do with just our – the general way that we've structured our entire society, you know, where we've got a lot more artificial light. We're getting a lot worse sleep. Um, if you're not well-rested, you have much worse, um, much worse, uh, a much worse attention span. And, uh, you know, we just – we generally allow people to like butt their ways their way into our lives at all times. Um, and so one of the things that, that he talked about in his books uh, is about how the medium of reading stuff on the internet actually alters the way that we read regular books. And reading of like fiction has been in free fall for years. You know, you yourself, if you look at how many books you read kind of before we got into like social media and the internet and stuff and how many you read now, um, you know, you might actually see this in your behavior. It, it, it is hard after spending a lot of time on Twitter to really get into a book or, or on Instagram or on whatever because those are designed to like really give you like those dopamine hits whereas books – don't do that. Or or if they do, they're over a very long period of time and after an enormous amount of effort. Um, so, you know, something that, you know, Hari talks about in his book in which, which, you know, I, I, I have been doing kind of on my own for a while is doing these really hard books over the wintertime. And so it started probably uh, 10 years ago when I was obsessed with the musical Les Mis. Uh, my wife and I had seen it in D.C. and it was just, it was so good. And I was like, well, I should read the book that this is about. But the book was like a 1,200 page. It's this enormous just hulk of a book. Um, and it's a really good story, but it also like, you know, Victor Hugo at one point, like literally the climax of the story, spends like 150 to 100 pages just talking about the sewers of Paris and you're kind of like, okay, but like you, you had like, you know, this one character at like the brink of death. And then he just goes into like, you know, description of how the sewers of Paris work. And it's, it truly was maddening. But like at the end of it, I just felt, I felt kind of serene after reading this like thousand page book, in spite of the fact that I frequently found it to be infuriating. So the next year I read War and Peace. And then year after that, I think it was Brothers Karamazov. And, and you know, so, so I started picking out these kind of like hard, long books to read in the winter when things were kind of like dreary and I just didn't have as much to do. And the last one I read before the birth of my kids was Alan Moore's Jerusalem, which I've talked about a ton on um, either on, you know, podcasts or TikToks or on, on you know, Better Strangers, um, because it's probably my favorite book of all time. Even though it is a really difficult book, it's about 1,200 pages, 
and he's got, you know, he's got, especially he's got one chapter, which is written in the style of uh, James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, which if you've never seen it, basically it's not English. It's written in almost like dream speak where every word has like a bunch of other words crammed into it. Um, it's, it's bizarre and kind of, you know, your head kind of starts to get into it after a time, but it feels almost like, um, like language does when you're like stupefyingly high. Um, and so, you know, I would try and recommend this to people, but when, when I would bring that up, you know, the, that one chapter in Jerusalem, um, or, or now this, this year I'm reading Ulysses and every time I tell anyone I'm reading Ulysses, I feel like I get like a kind of a hostile response back, like, like fucking why, why would you do that? And I, I think that, the, you know, there's a couple reasons I like, I think, you know, it's got, um, perceived pretentiousness to it, which, you know. Look, I'm self-aware enough to know that I've got a pretentious side. So that's definitely a part of it. I think that there's also people get frustrated with stuff that they see as intentionally difficult um, because, you know, a lot of the times it feels like the author is just doing this for their own fun rather than out of any sort of, like, elevated reason. Uh, and and also, to be fair, like, if you talk about some of these, like, canonically great books, I think a lot of people are understandably upset that so many of them are written by, like, you know, just these old white dudes. Um you know, James Joyce, like, wasn't the best guy. Like, he put his daughter into, he let his, well, well, he, him and his wife put his daughter into an insane asylum um, and then just kind of abandoned her there um, because she was just hard to deal with. Um, and so, like, he wasn't a good dude. A lot of his stuff is, like, kind of skeevy and, you know, it, it's occasionally misogynist. I mean, I think, you know, there are elements of his books which are, like, progressive. But I understand, like, the criticisms around them. But, you know, I think part of it is that the hostility to it is just like, this just seems like kind of like, you know, masturbatory. There's nothing, there's nothing actually that valuable in, in reading these big, long things, except to tell people that you read these big, long things. You know, another one, which I've heard a lot of people mention is Moby Dick. And, and I really liked Moby Dick, um, but Moby Dick, like, you know, it has one chapter of plot and then one chapter just describing like the boring minutia of... Um, you know, the whaling industry. So he'll talk about like processing blubber. And then there's one where he just goes a chap, a chapter talking about the importance of the color white. Um, and it, it, it really strains your patience while you're reading it. You know, um, I think a part of this is that when older books were being written and you just in general, like, you know, if you look at something, you know, works like, you know, like, if you look at like the the 19th century writers, the great ones, you've got, you know, you've got Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and Dickens and, you know, Victor Hugo, and they're writing these massive 2000 page books. And, you know, it, it makes sense that at the time people would have been keener on reading these giant epics because they had nothing else competing for their time at night. You know, you could have like, you know, a dinner conversation, but on most average nights, when you're just like sitting around and you don't have anything to do except you've got a candlelight, you don't have a TV, you don't have any other screens, you don't have any other major things. It's dark outside and you don't have any electric light, so you just can't go outside. And so, you know, the only thing to really do is to sit and read a book. And so it makes sense that they would have had more time and attention for, for these sorts of things. Um, you know, and, and now we've got so much competing with it that books are just significantly slimmer and you want it to kind of get to the point because you want to get through it. You want to process what it has to say 
and you're not necessarily going to commit to spending a couple of months with these characters. So I, I do I do understand why why people have a harder time with it, but I will say that I've also by doing this I've gotten so much out of these you know these much longer books. So reading Ulysses right now, um, Ulysses James Joyce is not my jam. I don't particularly like his style. Um, and you know I, I have learned that he he is the inspiration for a lot of the people that I find to be very inspiring. Um, and I, since I've been reading Ulysses, I've recognized that he actually was a pretty astounding artist. But the thing is, is that Ulysses, if you've ever picked it up, it, it's got a lot of old Irish slang. It's got old references to people that we've all entirely forgotten. Um, and he's also alluding to like 700 different things without really making it explicit in the book. Like, you know, there's a point where he's like talking about William Blake, but like he never mentions William Blake. And then, you know, the whole thing is modeled off of Homer's Odyssey, which is where it gets its name from, uh, cause Ulysses is the Latinized version of Odysseus. And so, you know, there are all of these different illusions and stuff. And what I had read several years ago is that the way to read Ulysses is to have a book sitting on your lap that isn't Ulysses, but is actually a list of the references he's making in each chapter and what, how the structure imitates Homer and like, you know, and so fortunately there's a website called the Joyce project, which has, I don't have to buy a second book. I can literally just have the book open on my lap and then have it on my phone. And then every time I reach something, I'm like, I don't know what that is. There's a link on it in this, this Joyce project page and I can click and I can see what he's alluding to in this which requires so much more attention. Also, I need to have a dictionary. I mean, you know, again, I'm using my phone and I'm like looking up words that I don't understand. But, you know, you need to spend so much more time and so much more energy with these with these chapters. There are 18 chapters. The ones I've read so far are about 20 pages each. And the 20 pages take me over an hour to read. And normally 20 pages would take me like 20 minutes. It's something that I could breeze through. Um but this 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 extra attention that is required for me to actually read these books is uh, something that uh, if you've ever heard of a flow state, that's a psychological state um, that you know that they've talked about where um, it's it's the space in which humans report the most happiness and meaning. Um, artists, mountain climbers, um, athletes, it's it's people who have you know basically who their full attention is absorbed by the activity that they're currently engaged in. They don't, they're not trying to multitask. They're not thinking about what's on their grocery list. They're not thinking about anything else in the outside world, except, um, their, the kind of the project they're working on. It's not a relaxing state. It's a very active state. And so it, and you know, when you're in a flow state, you basically are doing something that is up to the limits of your abilities, not past them. Cause that would just be frustrating and not beneath them because that would be boring. And a flow state is not something that we spend a lot of our time in in our days. Um, you know, and, and our cell phones and the internet are a big reason why we are not able to give that much attention to anything because you see one thing that grabs your attention, then there's another flashing light that grabs your attention, and there's a notification, and there's an email, and then there's a call. All of this really keeps us out of being in flow states, which we know are kind of the 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 ideal you know, the, the place where we feel the most happy and meaningful. Um, so, you know, when, when in, in Stolen Focus by, by Johan Hari, he's talking about how, you know, these flow states are something that we, you know, we can 
try to achieve, and one of the best ways to do so is by really getting into literary fiction and stuff that really requires our full attention because it requires that we use our imagination to kind of picture the world that we're in. Um, we need to, pay, you know, you, you follow carefully uh, the words that you're reading. And, you know, and he talks about how um, it's hard to get into this mode of thinking when we spend all of our day reading instead stuff online. Um, and the the quality and the, the the actual substance of the stuff that we read online is different when it's, you know, in a browser or on our phone than it is if we're reading it in a book. Um, we just have our, our brain responds to it totally differently. So, you know, for me, um, doing this doing this like annual, you know, hard book thing. I think I'm actually going to do a few of them this year just because last year I did so much just plowing through things uh, as quickly as possible. Um, it, it kind of is like an antidote to social media and it is something that you can spend a lot more of your time and focus on. And, and, and personally, I've always come out of them, even if I didn't love, like I didn't love Les Mis, like I'm not as I'm not as Jesusy as Jean Valjean, uh, the main the main character in that book. Uh, I don't love um, the religious aspects of the brothers Karamazov. Um, Dostoevsky was like basically like if you don't believe in God, you can't do anything moral, which I think is like a a stupid stance. Um, but it was still an amazing book that required that it that I put an enormous amount of attention into it, and it was a way that I could understand that way of thinking a lot better than I would if I'm just reading like, you know, hot takes and think pieces and stuff like that. So, you know, if you have, you know, seasonal effective, if, if you don't, you know, if you're not able to engage with stuff this time of year, you feel like super just like kind of out of it and antsy. Um, I really do suggest taking on a project book. Um, it doesn't just have to be old white dudes. You know, there's also, um, you know, challenging, um, you know, like, um, female people of color, um, you know, like a Middlemarch, uh, what's, it's, you know, the author is George Eliot. George Eliot was the pen name of a woman. I actually don't remember her name off the top of my head right now. Um, there's like Toni Morrison, you know, you, you can get, you can get people who aren't just like, you know, crusty old white dudes. Um, but if you find a project book, something really long, really difficult and really sink yourself into it, I highly recommend it as kind of an antidote to seasonal affective disorder. Um, it just, it's just, we know that it, gives your attention something to actually, you know, focus on and to work on. Um, and, uh, it, I've, I've in the past found it really fulfilling, even if, you know, when you tell people like, yeah, I've read war and peace, they think well, that guy's a fucking tool. Like, you know, sure, fine. But you know, like I did actually get something out of it and, you know, yeah, there are bragging rights to having read that stuff, but Really, the, the the reward is that you, you actually get an enormous amount out of these old books that really are, you know, just these massive, incredible works of art. So that's my that's my spiel this week. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe. Uh, if you like this, share it with someone. Uh, I will affiliate link every book I mentioned in here, the main ones being No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, and then I'll link some of the, the longer books that I really enjoy reading, um, uh, the longer ones that are, I have really enjoyed reading below. Um, and if you've got any that you found were challenging but that you got really found to be fulfilling when you finished, um, you know, please share those in the comments below. I um, hope you guys have a great week. I will talk to you soon.